Welcome back to this week's episode of New Folks in Political Science. Today we have Alex Besh, Sidney Ford, and Lauren Selfridge joining us to examine the complexities of congressional midterm elections and forecast said results. First, let's go ahead and hear from Alex Besh about her race. So today I'll be focusing on Virginia's 7th Congressional District, which is made up of the suburbs of Richmond and Fredericksburg, but has a lot of different rural areas around Virginia. So kind of um, farms and smaller counties other than Richmond, but Richmond's population is actually extremely large. And so a lot of the voters there focus, um, a lot of the focus goes on the voters there. So our two candidates are um, Dave Bratt, who is actually the incumbent, and he's running with the Republican Party. He is um, he won back in 2014 against Eric Cantor, who actually at the time was the House Majority Leader, which became one of the biggest upsets in um, American elections. And he actually stepped down, so there was a special election back in 2014. And before that, Bratt worked at Randolph-Macon College and he was an economics professor there for a very, very long time. And so a lot of his policy that he focuses on is anti-establishment and also working on the budget and trying to kind of make Virginia very um, money prominent and fixing the budget there. He will be facing Abigail Spanberger, who's running with the Democratic Party. She has never held elective office before, but um, she actually worked at the CIA for most of her life and is seen as a very prominent leader and someone who focuses a lot on um, social issues that Brad seems to not have focused on a lot um, within his last couple of years in office. Over in the 17th Congressional District of Pennsylvania, we kind of have a tricky situation. Recently, it's received much coverage in the political news media. In October 2017, Republican Representative Tim Murphy, who held the old 18th district seat since 2003, had to resign following a high-profile controversial sex scandal. So um, Connor Lamb won that special election in March March of 2018. Um, But since... Pennsylvania was recently redistricted. We kind of have a tricky situation where both candidates running for the new 17th district seat are both incumbents. Oh, really? That's really interesting, actually. Yeah, it definitely is pretty interesting. So since both candidates, Representative Connor Lamb, who is a Democrat, and Representative Keith Rothfuss, who is the Republican candidate, are vying for the seat in the newly drawn 17th district, Uh, We definitely have some controversy going on. So the 17th district now includes portions of the old 3rd, 12th, 14th, and 18th congressional districts, um, whereas Keith Rothfuss is currently serving the people of the 12th district. And Connor Lamb is currently serving the people in the old 18th district. Democratic representative candidate Connor Lamb was originally from Washington, D.C., but calls Mount Lebanon, Pennsylvania his home. Um, He was an attorney, and he also had military experience serving in the U.S. Marine Corps and the Marine Corps Reserve. Um, He is definitely qualified to be a legislator in that sense. The Republican challenger is originally from New York, but now also lives in Pennsylvania, Um, He attended the State University of New York, where he majored in information systems, and then Rothfuss eventually went on to earn his law degree from Notre Dame. Um, Previously, he was a member of the city city zoning board in Edgeworth, Pennsylvania, 
uh, and serves on various legislative committee committees as he has served in the House of Representatives for quite some time now. Overall, the newly drawn 17th district is a swing district rather than the safe Republican district it was made up of before. Um, this means it's more favorable to Democrats and it, therefore Connor Lamb definitely has a good chance of gaining this Republican territory. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how the blue wave ends up changing elections or, um, or if Republicans will be able to fight back against it this cycle. Lauren, why don't you go ahead and share with us some stuff about your race? Okay, so my race is New York's 19th Congressional District. So we have two candidates, Antonio Delgado, who's a Democrat, running against the incumbent, Representative John Fazzo. So a little background on John Fazzo. He ran um, for the House in 2016 and beat Zephyr Teachout, who's now a popular name in New York politics as well. Um, it was a very marginal race, but Fazzo did win. So a little background about him. Both of his parents worked hard so he could obtain a great education. He graduated from the State University of New York at Brockport, which is just northeast of Buffalo. And then he went on to Georgetown University for his law degree, and there he met his wife. He's been very active in his community, and he and his wife have chosen Kinderhook, New York, which is, of course, in the district, to live for the past 20 years. Fazo serves as a lector at his local parish, and his wife, Mary Fran, has been a high school nurse for 20 years. So they've both been very active in their community and their common faces um, for people living in this district. So in 2006, Fazo decided that he wanted to run for governor. Um, unfortunately, he faced a very devastating loss, but he earned the term tight-fisted um, as his reputation in his campaign because he was not a fan of wasteful spending in the state of New York. So right now, while he's in the House, he's sponsored and co-sponsored many bills surrounding issues specifically faced by New York's 19th district. So things like Lyme disease, um, building dams in the district, and promotion of charter schools in the state of New York. So he's really running on the fact that he is an experienced candidate. He has lived in the district for a long time. His kids have been raised in the district, and he really cares and gets to know the voters and what they care about and acts on it in Washington. So a little background on Antonio Delgado. He was born in Shenkatati, which is um, in upstate New York within the district. Both of his parents worked for General Electric so he could have a good life. He graduated from Colgate and went on to become a Rhodes Scholar to Oxford where he got his law degree. He's never run for office, but he's worked as an attorney since college graduation, so he is a relatively younger candidate, so he has not been in the workforce for as long as Faso. Um, but he's running mostly on issues typical of the Democratic Party, like forming a more comprehensive tax code, um, continuing to cover people with pre-existing conditions under health care, and um, really working to develop a better immigration plan besides Donald Trump's Build the Wall campaign. So really he's running on issues that aren't atypical of the Democratic Party. So about the district makeup, the Cook Partisan Voting Index indicates Republicans lead by two, but it'll be interesting to see where the race leads. We all know money can make or break a campaign. It sounds like these are all super tight races, so money is of, incre of increased importance. Whether through independent fundraising or do donations from PACs or political action committees, money should and will play a pivotal role in this campaign cycle. So in Virginia's 7th District, incumbent Dave Bratt has actually only raised $2,700,000. 
which is surprising because he's actually only spent almost a million eight hundred dollars whereas his opponent abigail spanberger has spent close to six million dollars at five million eight hundred thousand dollars which is and she spent almost all of it she spent five million three hundred dollars within the campaign and these last reports were um in october um, 2018 and so it really comes to show how much harder Abigail Spanberger has been working and how much more money she's been getting from packs like Emily's List and different packs from around the world um, kind of bringing in that money surrogacy to kind of help her increase her campaign and boot out Dave Bratt who's the incumbent Republican incumbent and it really shows the blue wave coming in and money from all around the country trying to um, encourage her to win. Yeah, over in Pennsylvania 17, it's definitely a tight race as both are incumbents. Typically, we see more incumbents spending when they are scared of losing. So as they are both incumbents, it can be pretty costly. So total in total, they've raised um, $11.6 million. Uh, Connor Land, the Democrat, raising 8.7 of that and Keith Rothfuss raising 2.8. What's particularly interesting, however, is that Connor Lamb has even released an ad saying that he refuses to accept money from any sort of corporate PACs or special interest groups. So this is all coming from individual private donors. Um, and it's insane to see the amount that he's raised, almost $6 million more than Keith Rothfuss. Okay, so New York 19, John Fazzo, who once again is the incumbent, has received money from groups like Elliott Management, Jane Street Capital, and AT&T Corporation. So in total, he's raised $1,447,000, um, so 68.5% 68 in-state, and then the rest of his funding has come from out-of-state, so 31.9%, um, which is really interesting because that, that seems to be a trend within the Republican Party that they do raise more money in-state and rely less on money from out-of-state. So he's raised in total, $3,600,000, and as of yesterday, he spent $3,093,000 of that money. So Antonio Delgado, on the other hand, his top contributors are Aiken Gump, which is an American international law firm, and it's the most profitable lobbying firm in the United States, Swing Left and Alphabet Incorporated. So he's raised 64.7% of his funding within the state and 35.3% out of state. Um, and he's raised $7,847,000 and spent $7,081,000. In most cases, a lot of the fundraising money that candidates receive often go to political advertisements. Um, to produce those advertisements costs a lot of money, but it's proven the best way to target large groups of voters. So in Virginia's 7th District, Abigail Spanberger is... Um, has released close to maybe 10, 15 ads, whereas Dave Bratt has actually only produced about three. And this is pretty normal when we think about the incumbent. He, um, he or she usually doesn't have to produce a lot of ads if they're not feeling very vulnerable or scared of their opponent, but Abigail Spanberger, who's the challenger, she really needs to make sure that she puts it out there. Like, who she is, getting name recognition, and making sure that people know um, everything that she's about, everything that she stands for. So most of her ads um, tend to be on the positive side, but they definitely make um, 
kind of snide comments at Brat, like, oh, I'm bringing on someone who Brat didn't fully give his full attention to, or that Brat didn't do this for us and Brat didn't do that for us, whereas there's no personal attack ads from Brat. Um, he is really just talking about everything that he's done for the Virginia 7th District in his previous time as the incumbent. And his most important ad is delivering for Virginia families, which just shows him like any typical good ad, just going out and talking to farmers and talking to families and restaurants and just kind of talking about who he is and everything that he's done. Whereas Abigail Spanberger, like I said earlier, has to focus a lot of her time on making sure that people know who she is and focusing on what she um, believes in. And that seems to be from a lot of her um, campaign videos that she focuses a lot on healthcare, which is something that Brat looks like he's lacked in, especially as a lot of the Republican Party has taken heat from in the past little bit. So it's definitely very interesting to see that difference. And although this is a tight race, um, there have been some pack campaign attacks against Abigail Spanberger, especially the um, one about Terror High, where she supposedly taught at a um, high school that um, produced kids who became terrorists and actually tried to assassinate President Bush. So, but Brat has done a pretty good job at keeping his campaign advertisements very low key. Yeah, in the 17th district, um, Connor Lamb is fresh off his win in March 2018. So people, even though he is a freshman representative, are very familiar with him. His face is well known around Pennsylvania, especially in his district. Um, although it is still critical because he is facing um, an incumbent who has a longer tenure in Congress. So it's still critical that he gets his name out there. He has about five or so ads I think right now and he generally started off his campaign messaging strategy pretty positive focusing on himself and his qualifications for office whereas Keith Rothfuss the Republican representative um, released the first negative ad discussing um, the fact that um, Connor Lamb isn't necessarily working for the people of Pennsylvania as he heavily relies on his campaign messages um, as we all know, those negative ads are often in a cartoonish fashion, super obnoxious, but they are effective. Um, but overall, Rothfuss does a great job of like targeting um, traditionally Republican voters. So um, the seniors necessarily, people who are interested in Medicare, prescription drug costs. Um, he also kind of discusses sanctuary cities and how that affects families, kind of like riding the Trump train there. Um, and Connor Lamb, like I said, was pretty pretty positive, in, although he did release a negative ad um, in response to Rothfuss's, but overall very positive, um, focusing on him as a freshman representative, honest candidate working to clean up the mess in Washington, um, and again, focusing on how he's avoiding monetary donations by special interest groups and political action committees. He's not afraid to step up to members of Congress, e easily influenced by money, as so many are. Um, However, the negative um, advertisement really analyzes the differences between the Lamb campaign and Rothfuss's, um, specifically that Rothfuss released the negative ad because he was unable to defend himself to voters questioning his decisions in Congress, such as his vote to eliminate protections for people with pre-existing medical conditions and his vote to give $50 billion to big drug companies. Um, but I think both candidates thus far at least are doing a pretty great job of getting their message across 
Um, we'll have to see how it plays out, though, as they are both incumbents, so it's kind of um, give or take at this point. Yeah, for New York's 19th district, I have to agree with what Alex said earlier, that the incumbent doesn't necessarily have to run as many ads as the challenger, but this especially holds true in New York's 19th district. Congressman Fazzo has 14 campaign ads, while Antonio Delgado has a whopping 60. So Delgado's, though, do include endorsement messages from um, big politicians like Joe Biden and local government officials who have endorsed him. And his um, YouTube page does contain ads, like the same ads, and some of them are 15 seconds, some of them are 30. So depending on um, how much time he gets on air or what people are willing to watch. Um, but for him, he has started attacking John Fazzo from the beginning. So he really questioned his personal background, his education, and his true goals for the district. So his most influential ad um, for the Delgado campaign was titled Promises. And this ad basically showed an older woman who had a pre-existing condition. She had a brain tumor. And it showed her speaking to Congressman Fazzo at a campaign rally. And she came up to him crying and just said, um, please vote so that way my pre-existing condition can be covered by my health care. And he said absolutely, but then 100 days later he voted no on that. So that really showed how he effectively betrayed the woman. And so Delgado really uses this ad to um, not just promote his stance on people with pre-existing conditions and their health care coverage, but really showing how Congressman Faso is not fit to hold this office if he's not really going to listen to his constituents. And then on the other side, for Congressman Fazzo, his ads have mostly been positive. He hasn't run any attack ads against Delgado. He's really banking on his personal background and the work he's done for the district. For example, he has one ad that's entitled Empowering. So this ad talks about a woman who almost lost her son to a drug encounter. And she explained that um, Congressman Fazzo was sponsoring a bill that would have um, allowed law enforcement to be able to stop the trafficking of the specific drug her son um, was taking. So really showing that he does care about people specifically in the district and again saying that he, he does act upon what his constituents want even though Delgado's ad would say otherwise. So another interesting thing was that John Fazzo has been backed by political action committees who have run ads for him, and his most impactful one is probably one where he puts Antonio Delgado's controversial history as a rapper next to his current, his most current, most popular positive ad promoting himself. So he puts statements from the rap album against um, countering statements that Delgado has said during his campaign. So that's pretty impactful. And Antonio Delgado doesn't have any ads that are sponsored by a PAC, but he does have support from. Um, local gospel pastors and some supporters so they have released ads for him but none of those are from PAX. So you said he's a rapper? Yeah. That's so awesome. That's yeah. so cool. So in 2007 he released a rap album and that's now kind of coming back to bite him as Congressman Fazzo. That's really his biggest um, defense for himself really is that Antonio Delgado has said things that are anti-American in his past um, and even though that was 11 years ago the album's still out there um, people still listen to it the the views on 
the um, on the videos that he released 11 years ago are kind of at an all-time high. So, wow. do you think this is going to change some of the thoughts of the voters? Like, do you think that's something that's going to impact them, or is it just kind of like a defense me mechanism? Um, well, most of the ads are anti-American, or most of his rap um, pieces on YouTube are anti-American, um, like against the police and. Um, against racism in America. So when I say like anti-American, I mean he wasn't happy with the state of um, equal rights in America at the time. So I don't know if it'll have a huge impact um, because most of his supporters know that he was a rapper beforehand, but that, you know, that was kind of right when he got out of college. So he didn't have a job yet. He wasn't an established lawyer. So I don't know, but I know Republicans are really putting a spotlight on that. Um, to just kind of question his morals and his true opinions. Yeah, I think one of the best things about the, the midterm cycles is that we are able to more closely examine um, political advertisements in the down-ballot races, whereas on presidential years, we're often focused on that position. So I think it's interesting that we're able to examine this more closely. One of the most effective ways to see what voters think of candidates are polls. Polls along with the incumbency advantage, money raised and spent, and district partisanship can forecast which candidate is most likely to win. How do you guys think these factors will impact the outcome of your um, respective races? Yeah, in the 17th district, it's traditionally leans a little bit more Republican, but the latest poll performed uh, August, or oh, sorry, excuse me, October 5th through the 8th at Monmouth University puts Lamb actually up uh, 12 to 14 points um, with a predicted vote share of like 54 and 42 percent. Um, so in it, just examining the polls, um, those likely voters are definitely rooting for Connor Lamb, the Democratic candidate in that sense. Um, but it's also critical to examine how much money they've raised and how that plays out into the campaign advertisements and what they're doing with that money. Um, as we discussed earlier, the Democrat Connor Lamb has raised significantly more money and uh, spent significantly more money as well in his race. Um, I think he's definitely trying to reach those frustrated voters who are kind of fed up with the Republican members of Congress and just ride along the blue wave this fall. I think also, also something that's interesting to take into account is um, the fact that they are both incumbent um, incumbents in Congress and they have kind of built up their support and their base um, as they have both served Rothfuss more so since he's had a longer tenure. Um, but since they do both have their um, groups of voters that are definitely voting for them, it's definitely ought to be a tight race, um, even though the polls say that Lamb has a strong lead. I think uh, partisanship aside, Lamb will end up uh, coming out on top because the district is currently leaning Democrat. So ultimately, the races show that although Abigail Spamberger is putting up a pretty good fight, that Dave Bratt will win by about one or two points, which is a, an extremely close race, especially in the area that even though it's made up of the Richmond suburbs, that you kind of get that um, suburb Democratic vibe and vote that a lot of the rural areas will take over and it will definitely be very interesting to see how people turn out on election day um, and what they have to say about all of it. Alex, what's it looking like in your race? I think it's really funny that um, some of these more, like the same with the Virginia 7th District and the new um, Pennsylvania 17, is that it originally leans very more, a little more Republican than usual, 
But with Mee's new polling forecast coming out, especially in the Virginia 7, it looks like Abigail Spanberger and the Democratic Party will actually have a chance of winning this election. Um, the newest polls from 538 kind of show that both are teetering between 48% and about 50%. So it's going to be a very, very close um, race. And Dave Bratt has actually come out saying that he doesn't see this race as a top toss-up, which I think is like pretty funny because it is. And he's definitely um, getting kind of... Um, challenged in this race and definitely Abigail Spanberger has stepped up with a lot of her democratic resources and a lot of the different things that she has to offer and show the Virginia 7th district people what she thinks um would be better for them and that is not Dave Bratt. Lauren what about your race? Okay so New York 19 is a lot like the other races so um, Republicans tend to lead in that um in the district so like donald trump won the district pretty heavily in 2016 and the district overall is 4.8 points more republican than the rest than the rest of the nation so that makes it very interesting that 538 politics has antonio delgado up 65 percent um to john fazzo's 35 wow, percent yeah it really is a lot and that forecast has really changed throughout the whole cycle like in the beginning 538 had um, really like a 10% margin between the two candidates, but as the cycle's gone on, they've really flip-flopped who's going to win, but it's really been close up until October 12th, and that's when they um, projected that Antonio Delgado would win by, by a very large margin, and Monmouth University also released a poll um, indicating that Delgado was up by two points, um, despite more negative ads being run against him from like the ad. CC and other PACs. So it really is interesting to see how it has changed over time. And I think something that has to do with that is probably endorsements. Antonio Delgado has gotten lots of endorsements from big names within the Democratic Party, like I mentioned earlier, um, like former President Joe Biden endorsed him pretty early on. So I think that those play a pretty big role in why he's so ahead. And I think age probably has something to do with it as well. Antonio Delgado is a relatively younger candidate and versus Congressman Fazzo is older. And Congressman Fazzo has been um, kind of a lifelong politician. He's been involved in politics since he graduated college, whereas Delgado is kind of new to this. So I think that that probably plays a pretty significant role in this election as well. It's definitely critical in this last week before Election Day that all of our candidates focus on their ground game from this point forward. Um, any sort of FaceTime with voters through door knocking, really, sort, really any sort of contact during Get Out the Vote will be crucial um, when it comes to voter turnout on Election Day. Um, especially in these tight races, mobilizing partisans and persuading undecided voters will be of the utmost importance. Thanks for joining us this week on New Folks in Political Science. Um, it was great to have you all here listening today, and thank you, Lauren and Alex, for joining us. Thank, thank you. you. And go vote, guys. Get out that vote.